You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 353. Hooray for Prince Louis. Lewis, tomato, tomato, but how loyal to the royals are you? Harry Kane and lessons in taking offence. Paul Lamb and Heritage Acts coming over here with their books and their house concerts and their songwriting workshops. Dear me, it's all coming up after Pete Shelley and Homo Sapien.
I was reading yesterday that this single was banned by the BBC when it was released, but I, it's not my recollection. I, I seem to remember it being played on the radio uh, right through that autumn. Uh, the first solo single released after he left the Buzzcocks from 1981, Pete Shelley and Homo Sapien. Indeed, and you're nobody unless you've been banned by the BBC. That's a sort of badge of honour, isn't I it? S- but like having an absbo in the uh, late 90s. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Uh, welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 300. 53. I'm Terence Stackham, and as a different Shelley, Percy Shelley said, she makes beautiful that which is distorted. It's Juliet Harris. I mean, I can do both if you want, but anyway, as ever, you're far too kind. Hello, everyone. Well, a week of celebration and joy for the royal family, of course, and, and indeed royalists everywhere, with the birth of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge's third child, Prince Louis Arthur Charles, uh, born at St Mary's Hospital in Paddington. And I'm glad all went well, of, of course. My, of course, yes. Hooray for them. Hooray, yeah, indeed. Much of my attention, though, in the media coverage of all this has been diverted by noticing the people who are so keen on the royal family that they act rather like super fans of pop stars Mm. and camp out in all weathers outside the Lindo wing at St Mary's. And they do this for several weeks ahead of the birth. Now, I'm not judging the people that do this. I do find it... <laughs> I do find it... I might. <laughs> do find it quite eccentric. Um, many, if not most, of the people seem to favour clothing themselves in Union flag jackets. Yes, they're quite enthusiastic about that. The Union uh, jack or the Union flag waistcoat is quite a popular choice amongst this particular subset of people. Yes, often Union flag hats as well to, to top off the ensemble. Yes, true. It's, often, an, it's a jaunty <laughs> Ensemble, isn't it? Often found clutching. I, I, I saw dolls and posters and mm. homemade banners. Well, good luck to them. But I yes. do wonder what they do for the rest of their lives. And maybe they have shrines like that obsessed fan that Alan Partridge. Ah, oh, yes, indeed, indeed. But the, the thing is, though, uh, Jules, I don't know if you're a royalist or a republican, but I can really imagine you as a caring <laughs> member of the royal family. I think you would suit a tiara. Well, that as ever, you are you are far too kind. I think you are sort of the um, well. I, I already have two pushy parents, but in you, I feel like I have a third, really pushing me on to achieve things of which I have little desire and even less talent in order to be able to achieve. I think um, yes, I could see myself as a, as a modernising a public figure. I think, but I could see myself more as an ele- elected politician than oh. someone that was necessarily born into a born into an excellent lifestyle of opulence. And I speak as someone you speak as a man that's never actually met my immediate or my extended family so no. i can reassure you that uh, perhaps i'm not best suited to be a princess oh. um i used to be very staunchly republican as indeed everyone is i suppose or lots of people mm. of my political sort of world are when they're younger yeah. and now i'm i'm i wouldn't describe myself as a full-on royalist i i i'm not really a. I won't be turning up with my studded pearly queen jacket <laughs> at, the, uh, at the royal wedding i think they could do do well without me but um i do i, I i'm less <laughs> unenthusiastic than I was. I do think that my dad is right and that the Queen has been a, a, a superb public servant I think and I shall be very sad when the Queen passes on. Um, I'm less enthusiastic about Prince Charles I must admit although I do like the young modernising wing of the royals as you say um, I I don't know I, I, I can't, I'm not 
particularly massively pro the royal family because I really much like I really very much like democratic processes, regardless of whether or not I, I agree or disagree with the outcome. Um, having said that, that seems relevant in the. I am quite glad that the Queen's around at the moment. It is nice to have a kind of a, a, a sort of an independent arbiter, given some of the mess that seems to be being created politically. And you know, I must say, message to the Queen. Um, Please don't, please don't pop off before Brexit's done. That was going to make life even harder than it already is. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't see myself as a royal particularly. I can't work myself up into a fury about them anymore. I used to be able to, and now I just think, oh, for goodness sake, you know, I, I'm, I, I find Prince Charles's meddling in democratic process to be very offensive and mendacious. So actually, I'm always happy to have a complaint about Prince Charles on that score. <laughs> the planning law has nothing to do with him, but out. I don't care if you like it or not although a friend of mine did tell me years ago and it did make me laugh um, that she did um, an architecture degree at Sheffield and she was once told by a friend of hers on the degree um, that um, they were talking about brutalist architecture, so sort of, you know, these large imposing concrete buildings, which are often not the prettiest thing ever. It's very much a matter of taste as to whether you're into them or not. And uh, she said to me once, when it comes to working out whether or not something's brutalist, her friend on the architecture course told her that the, that the test is, would Prince Charles like this? <laughs> if the answer is no, then it's probably brutalist. So, um, so yeah, I do have a problem with... Um, Prince Charles overstepping the royal function. Having said that, I'm I'm glad they're there at the moment, frankly, to kind of keep an eye on on things. I don't necessarily, in ordinary circumstances, I wouldn't be a huge fan, but I don't really feel that we live in very ordinary times at present. I simply couldn't bear to be in the spotlight like the prominent members of the royal family. No, no, and I, I I'm sure so. I'd put my foot in it. I mean, perhaps not as deeply as you say, or regularly. Oh, or perhaps, uh, perhaps, not as, perhaps not as bad as Prince Philip. I think, I think he is the ultimate when it comes to putting one's foot in it, isn't he, really? Absolutely. But I, I'd, I'd hate to watch every single word I said it every, or every gesture mm-hmm. I made in my entire life. But I think, as your father says, I think even the staunchest Republican might even profess admiration for the Queen who hasn't put a foot wrong or a word out of place for 92 years. I mean, I wouldn't last 92 minutes, it has to be said. But, you know, just the other thing, the other big royal event is still impending as we record this, the wedding mm. of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in a couple of I mean, obviously, weeks. I wish them well. They mm. seem very pleasant. She seems like a breath of, breath of fresh air. Absolutely. I hope it works out for them. Now, I live just a couple of miles from Windsor. Oh, yes, and you're at the, the centre of the storm. I, I, I really you? am. The, the, the royal wedding has le- it's led to a massive upturn in one of the new internet... internet um, Based industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost everyone I know in Windsor has put their home up for rent for the week of the Royal Wedding on oh, um, Airbnb. Yeah. And I'm not sure of the moral rights and wrongs of this, but people are paying about £300 per room per night. Uh, to, so anyone with, say, a three-bedroom house might be looking to pull in maybe £5,000 if they rent the house out for a week. And That's not a bad earner, is it? I know somebody who lives in a relatively modest house in Windsor, but it's parallel with what they call the Long Walk. Do you know that? It's the oh, big yes, I, I do, yes. sort of strip that goes up towards the, the castle. They've been paid £7,500 by an American media organisation mm. for their cameras and reporters to be able to park themselves wow. in their front garden and upstairs window uh, wow. for the day. So a new cottage industry created mm. uh, there. But I was thinking maybe if any... 
future get future royals get married in Hastings, you could yeah. make your own fortune there, there, Jules. You see, well, but do do come down, chaps. I can particularly recommend St Mary in the Castle, um, an organisation for which I am a trustee. We have a very nice building. Do come down, and uh, we do do weddings there occasionally. Do come down, have a lovely time. We've had political rallies, we've had bad manners, we've had all sorts of things. Also, when it comes to um, making money out of cottage industries, I was DJing Friday night, just just gone, mm. and did in fact, you know, I, I like to think of myself as embracing the spirit of enterprise prize like your friends have done in Windsor and I did offer any members of the press pack who happened to be tailing um, what we're contractually obliged to refer to as embattled home secretary (laughs) Amber Rudd Um, I did offer any members of the of the lobby who were able to come down and produce their lobby pass um, to the Dragon Bar where I was DJing a drinks token unfortunately nobody took us up on that offer which was a pity and nor did Amber herself who who obviously it would have been quite entertaining to see her but um, I suspect she had other things to do she may have had one or two other things on her mind <laughs> uh, present at the time we record this. Yeah, she's still in post at the time we record oh, this yes. as well, to point out. How quickly do you take offence? Uh, this oh. week, Maurizio Pochettino, the Spurs manager, has created a new world record in offence taking. <laughs> That's next after Teenage Fan Club.
I do like this, I must admit. I don't know what brought me to it this week. It might have been to do with, with the uh, embattled Home Secretary's endeavours, <laughs> to do with having people deported and control orders and whatnot. So so this is um, on the right on that theme. Teenage fan club and I don't want control of you. They really are a smashing band. What I love um, about them is they always... Um, retained a sort of capacity to surprise. I know they have a specific sound so much to much of their work, but there's always something new and sort of innovative with them. I, I really like Teenage Fan Club. Yes, I'm a, I'm a big fan. This week, Maurizio Pochettino, the manager of Tottenham Hotspur, he spoke out very strongly oh. in, in, in defence of his player, Harry Kane. This was after two separate incidents last week. Firstly, as Manchester United were beating Tottenham in the Cup semi-final, uh, rather oddly, perhaps, the official FA, Football Association Twitter feed, tweeted a, a, a feeble joke about Harry Kane being in the pocket of the Manchester United defender, Chris Smalling. And the next day... The Sunday was the Professional Footballers Awards Ceremony in London and the PFA chairman, Ben Perkis, great mm. name for a footballer, Ben P- Perkis, he made a speech in which he made, a, again, a lightweight reference to Harry Kane. Uh, Kane cl- claiming a goal a few weeks before. Originally, the goal was allotted to Kane's colleague, Christian Eriksen. Kane uh, claimed the ball had brushed his shoulder, no reason to disbelieve him, and the goal was subsequently awarded to Harry Kane. Perkis of the PFA made a joke about it. Next thing you know, here we go. The media coverage goes into overdrive. The Football Association puts out a statement apologising for the in-your-pocket tweet and Ben Perkis had to phone Harry Kane to explain the joke. Now, most offence <laughs> seems to have been taken by Maurizio Pochettino, who said on Friday, and there is a direct quote from his press conference... Mm. Harry was very sad, of course. <laughs> well, we're helping him to move on about the situation. He needs to move on and not think about what happened. We need to protect our assets, the young players. This type of situation disappointed me a lot, end of quote. Now, Jules, does Maurizio Pochettino, does anyone need to protect Harry Kane and any young people? Do they, do they need to be protected from jokes? Well, I think we can once again roll out my favoured three-word quote here, which is, meanwhile, in Syria. I do find that gets a lot of use at the moment. Um, The other thing that really made me laugh, by the way, and your expert summing up as ever of the situation, was that they had to read Harry Kane to explain the joke to him. Given the uh, the apparent report that when England were 1-0 down to Iceland at half-time in the... the, Was it World Cup or the Euros? Euros In the Euros a couple of years ago, uh, Harry Kane apparently asked the, the referee um, as they were either leaving or coming back onto the pitch and if England lost did that mean that they were out of the tournament so when it comes to explaining the joke from how to Harry Kane that might have been somewhat literally I suspect um, bless him but um, but yeah I oh, I don't know it does, I, I, I don't want to seem you know I, I think that you know quote unquote millennials get an awfully bad rap considering they're having to deal with you know structural problems in society which which their parents did not having said that though harry Kane not affected by that economic uh, economic difficulty i suspect um you know it 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 does seem a bit you know sort of well yeah i can see why you want to claim the goal but it was all a bit sort of baroque in its melodrama that kind of particular <laughs> incident that you know he swore on his 
child's yeah, life and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's like, for goodness sake, you know, that all seemed a bit, you know, I enjoyed Christian Eriksen's attitude, which was, well, if you want it, then why not? You know, I thought yeah. that was the, I thought that was, you know, could we not have just gone along those lines? It, it does seem a bit, um, does seem a bit OTT, doesn't it, really? And I, and I do think, you know, it's a bit, oh, we must, we must protect people. Um, and then we wonder why our, our teams lose at the World Cup to people like Iceland or, I don't know, whoever it's going to be this time, Saudi Arabia or somebody equally as, uh, as, as earth-shattering, I suspect. Um, you know, maybe if we had a bit more toughness about us, we might get a bit further. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not saying necessarily that, that, you know, bullying in any form or in any forum is acceptable. Having said that, though, I do... It was a bit of a ridiculous situation, um, and perhaps you know, perhaps a bit of lightness of touch might have been helpful from uh, Mario Pochettino. I can see why he wants to protect his players. Why not? You know, I do, I do understand that. But he is slightly coming across as a pound shot Mourinho in doing so. I'm afraid to say. Yeah, you see, I, you know, you make a couple of really good points there. I think this situation is a little bit more nuanced than it first appears because, like you, I abhor bullying in any form, and we all, we all, we think though, this is this is. This is, the, I think, the issue here is that we all have a line where we might be offended, or perhaps maybe a better word actually, oh, absolutely. Where, where we're hurt by words or circumstances. Yeah, we all have a threshold. Everyone's yeah. threshold is slightly and different. Maybe it's easy for you and me. You know, I, I'm as guilty as anyone to say, "Oh, you know, nothing malicious was intended. It's just a joke." But different people do get hurt by different things, and yeah. I think that, I think there's two aspects to this. I think. Um, one, as Pochettino referred to, young people. The the older I get, the less I get offended. I tend to shrug my shoulders, mm-hmm. obviously, figuratively speaking. And I think as you get older, the less you care about other pin- people's sort of opinions of you. And secondly, and I think um, equally as importantly, our old friend and our old target, social media. In an mm. e- age of instant comment and instant reaction people get drawn into these flame wars much more swiftly and corrosively um, than ever before and people don't take time to consider they just pump out an instantly constructed response onto twitter particularly so i you know i'm I'm kind of in Two, I'm drawn into mm. both both parts of this. I can see that uh, it, it could very, very be easily seen as an overreaction. But then, on the other hand, if it's upset someone, then it's upset them. And you know, yeah, absolutely. Although, having said that, I suppose to some extent, and again, I don't want to make everything about money. But if you yeah. so so taking aside the oh, you they get paid a lot. Even if you take that out of the equation, if you have the opportunity to appear and play football at a high level. Well, the highest of levels usually, which which many, 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 many thousands of people who are perhaps almost even as good as you would like the opportunity to do so, but just haven't been in the right place at the right time or whatever in order to be able to achieve that. Mm. Um, to some extent, you do have to take the rough with the smooth a little bit and you do have to expect to expect the fact that if you are, and this applies to all across society, if you are in a high profile role, you are going to get criticism because that to some extent comes with the territory. Having said that, though, I can, I can understand that it's upsetting and i really agree with you regarding social media i think that's a really astute point because of course in the past there you know we have fanzines i suppose that's how football fans communicated with each other and and expressed their views and you know obviously chanting on the terraces but when it when it comes to you know like you say the instant reaction Mm. social media has taken away any 
time or inclination or opportunity to reflect, I suppose, really. So it's so easy to tweet in anger or to tweet in, you know, to say something which you think is terribly funny in the moment. And then on reviewing it 10 minutes later, you think, and we've talked, you know, this is a, a theme we come back to time and time again on this podcast, isn't it, really? The kind of the, yes. the people having to delete tweets later yes. on in their professional careers, the Zoella syndrome, the, the chat that was the that was the Gay Times editor, yes. you know, the people that keep that keep sort of doing things like that. So I do, you know, I do, I do understand why social media. I think social media. You're right. It's a huge factor in how it's made it harder for players. Having said that, though, I do think that part of the difficulty is, which is why when you're younger and you're being bullied, you're always told not to react. Is if you do react quite often that that gets a rise even further doesn't it really whereas if you're able just to think oh well you know i don't agree with people but maybe i was being a bit ridiculous and laugh yourself a little bit and move on i wonder if that's going to be healthier for you in the long run yes i agree and i think we all myself included forget the the sort of simple maxim of before you say something online think would i say this if the person was sitting right yes, beside absolutely. me now yes and, I, and, that, and that's i do have sympathy for harry kane where people tweet nonsense at him i think that's you know i do i do feel sorry for him in that respect musicians now making a living from books house concerts songwriting workshops that's next um i've had an earworm all week and i'm mm-hmm. going to share it with you don't be offended it's from <laughs> 1982 it's junior
been singing it in my head all week. Um, from It's brilliant. I love dancing to that. I do that embarrassing bum wiggly dancing to that. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> from 1982, it made number 30 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 7 over here in the UK. Junior and Mama used to say. Take your time, young man. Exactly. And <laughs> very sound advice. Yeah, uh, that his uh, mama was pretty yeah, good, really. Yeah. Um, not long ago at all, when, when a, a popular group or an artist found the hits drying up and uh, album sales dwindling, the thing to do was to stick out a best-of album with a couple of new mm. tracks on, or perhaps a live at Hammersmith album, and that would inevitably get the royalties piling back in. And then do a little bit of a tour to promote that as well. Absolutely. All, all would be well, the, the, the funds would come just churning back in but with the rise of streaming sites sites and um, apps like spotify where immediate income dips we no longer buy into the reissues and greatest hits because they're all available all the time indeed we can mm. we can compile the greatest greatest hits of our favorite musicians or bands on a playlist anytime we like so um what 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 are the musicians to do? They still have lifestyles to maintain. Well, the vogue that has sprung up over the last couple of years has been to, in marketing terms, exploit the brand. And they can't sell records, so they sell a different form of themselves. House concerts. Uh, some well-known names will come and play in your sitting room for about a £1,000. Mm. Um, songwriting workshops. Mary Gautier, Boo Hewardine, Chris Difford. Uh, you can mm. try and learn the art of uh, writing songs songs with them and the ever increasing method writing a book Tracy mm. Thorne Viv Albertine Chris Difford again Morrissey Cozy Fanny Tootie it's a long and, uh, and growing list Morrissey's book was awful but I really enjoyed Tracy Thorne and Viv oh, Albertine's yeah. first book yeah I very much agree they were terrific but will the bubble burst Jules are fans going to keep wanting to attend songwriting courses and buy books instead of buying music well, I don't know. And I think it might be, to some extent, an age thing, possibly. So so let's not... And this is not at all a snark at these people involved. But, mm. but you know, Chris Difford and Tracy Dawn and, and Viraldine, I'm not sure how old they all are exactly, but I believe them all to be 50 at least. Um, maybe they are just pitching to their fans that have grown up with them. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to seem like I'm, you know, saying that people get old and they don't want to listen to music anymore. But maybe, maybe people's interests widen as they get older. Certainly. I now feel that, you know, I, I have bought Tracy Thorne's latest album and it is absolutely superb, by the way. It's called mm. Record and it is really, really good. I would recommend that you, you listen to it. Mm. It's great. Um, either on a streaming site or then why not buy a <laughs> hard copy? Um, but uh, so, so I, you know, I, I do, I very much enjoyed their books and I, and I do, I, I do have a level of interest in artists like Tracy Thorne where it is really fascinating to be able to read the story behind it i do think that is interesting and actually i think tracy thorne's a bit of an exception for me because she does write regularly in the new statesman i think it's every other week she has a column and that has encouraged me to want to read her books as well she did do a second one called naked at the Albert hall about the art of singing and i think she might be doing another at some point and her writing in the new statesman is superb i really enjoy it i enjoy her writing in her own well, pardon the pun, in her own right. I do mm. think she's she's very interesting. I, you know, I, I 
can understand why if you are a musician and that is what you do for a living and that is your livelihood i can understand why for example to use the parallel of farming farmers are told to diversify now aren't they in order to be able to 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 continue their what is their livelihood and their living and their profession and their vocation so they you know as well as you know getting the getting the sheep in and putting them on the fields and that kind of stuff you can also buy snazzy jars of chutney and things like that which i have no problem with at all i think you know i think that's perfectly sensible so actually maybe it's just diversifying to in order to be able to sustain their careers and and i don't think musicians i think there's a there's always a bit of sneering particularly from people like my dad as much as i love him you mm. know oh well you, you'll need to get a proper job and it's like well why if that's what you do for a living and that's what you've been able to make money off and, all, and, and able to sustain a living from in the past i i don't see why you should be forced to change career just because it, perhaps it is a you know a less traditional career path if you were able to make money off it in the past then why not diversify in order to try and sustain a living in the future i have no problem with that i can you know that a songwriting workshop with chris different might not necessarily be something that i want mm. but you know why why shouldn't he offer it to people if there's a market there for it and he can make a, a living out of that then fair play to him why not i i don't i don't see why why if there's still a market and still some demand i don't see why people should be forced to stop their careers without at least giving you know giving further different sort of ways of coming at it a, a go why not um yeah indeed by the way chris difford um house concerts uh are the that, that was the person i was referring to oh, a thousand it? Oh, pounds yeah. i bet uh, they're really come... good actually in fairness Absolutely, and if you go to one of his songwriting workshops, it's it's residential for four days, and it's five hundred pound per yeah. participant. I imagine ten or twenty. My, people my friend went. Well, my friend, my bandmate went on a Tom Robinson uh, ah. uh, run a weekend once, which was very similar. So, and also, I nearly went on an unthanked singing workshop. Oh, that would uh, be good. Oh, uh, that would it, be it, good. It looked brilliant. The only thing that slightly put me off was it was in Sea Houses, which is um, I have been there before actually, which is in North. I think it's in Northumberland. It's very mm. very very far north yes. on the coast um and it was in february and the accommodation was described as breezy and oh i just Lord. thought i can't mm, i can't deal with yeah. this but i have had friends that have gone on their residential singing weekends and they are brilliant the thing is when the hits dry up it's only the absolutely huge acts that can make big money from touring these days at fleetwood mac mm-hmm. the stones oh, Paul McCartney. Yeah. they can tour almost constantly and they make huge sums but every i think one of the issues now is that when those bands were starting out they was they were the only generation that were doing pop music there was nothing before you know the beatles or elvis but now every few years new generations bring forward yet more acts to try and gain our attention and the touring market yeah it's absolutely. just saturated now yeah i don't think the acts um we mentioned in terms of books and house concerts can make big money touring so it must be i think it must be a genuine worry for former pop or rock stars whatever you want to say now in their 40s and beyond and and people Mm. like viv albertine they're my age uh chris difford my age um it it, you know what are they to 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 do i i mean i I suspect many don't have quite seriously you know any pension investment no it's not it's not a pension type 
living. And actually, I think what is a bit telling is I know you say the market is saturated on touring. Mm. That might be one reason why it's harder to make money. Also, and I think this is a, a debate that we've come back to previously, yeah. and I'm still I'm still pushing my end of the debate on this, which is you've sort of talked about whether or not it is important to have small music venues, and I still maintain mm. that it is because that is the lower rungs of the economy upon which people cut their teeth and, and you know, sort of hone their craft. And it would seem now that we we live in a world where there aren't many mid-sized venues there is no middle gear in the music market anymore it used to be the case that you know you could like like a band like everything but the girl which tracy dawn was in they used to be able to perhaps if they didn't set the world on fire with sales they still you know they were still able to sustain themselves for some time and they did have that that rather delicious comeback in the mid 90s um tracy dawn's book is particularly good on this i think how they they had a hit by accident Yes. Blanco y Negro, uh, their um, record label, which I think was a subsidiary of Warner, had basically dropped them by this point. And Todd Terry happened to pick up Missing as New York House DJ and um, did a remix of it, which became an enormous sleeper hit, like a radio play hit. And um, Blanco y Negro had to sort of pretty much cap in hand, come back to them and say, oh, well, perhaps we will promote this record after all. And it was enormously successful and gave them a sort of a second win. So, so. You know, I I I have sympathy with bands like this, and particularly nowadays where you, you're either massive, you could probably make a bit of a living. It's either pub circuit type stuff. Mm. There's a, a thriving pub circuit where I live in Hastings, or you know, you're Adele. I mean, there don't seem to be many middle tier bands anymore. And so, in the past, whereas there were opportunities to sustain yourself as a career, um, nowadays, you know, record sales being very much down on what they were, um, album sales. Uh, I mean, specifically album sales. Um, it's harder. So I so. I think that actually it shows some new and some some uh, some level of a you know sort of be, being quite astute if you're trying to find other ways in which to kind of um to kind of do do your thing. Now, assuming you're not yet writing your autobiography, no, a, I d- there doesn't seem to be much of a market for it. Oh, it's, it's, it's only a matter of time. It, it really is. But uh, w- with that knowledge, where can we learn more about you? Uh, where you're going to be and what you're up to this week? Well, I, well, where will I be this week? That seems a fair question. Um, in terms of m- m- events that you can publicly see me at... <laughs> uh, no, we, not, we, no, we don't want to be following you around Waitrose. I was going to say, you probably don't want to come to my trustees meeting tomorrow night. No. But um, I am going to... Um, I'm not going as a performer, although I might do in future. And there's a jazz night on in Hastings on Thursday evening, so Thursday the 3rd, called Birth, spelt with an E of the call, um, a pun on the Miles Davis uh, album, oh, nice. um, which is going to be... Um, yes, I know you're not enthusiastic, but anyway it's, no, it's people playing and it's people playing jazz records mm, oh, um, well. several out yeah i know several hours in a row in a at the white rock hotel in Hastings. but i think it will be quite fun mm. terence so so i'm doing that um i'm also doing indie wonderland on the radio on wednesday night mm. wednesday the 2nd of may 8 to 10 p.m on barricaderadio.com and i will also be doing the saturday social this coming saturday the 5th of may from 6 to 7 p.m also on barricaderadio.com which is the best hour of radio you will hear on any Very given week. Thank you. Thanks to you for listening. That's you. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and them over there. Talking of uh, earworms earlier, when this um, single we're playing out with was released, I re- just remember singing it in my head for months. 
Absolutely, and, and it, it, it became my earworm when I was on my way out to DJ on Friday evening mm. um, without Amber Rudd and the press pack in mm. tow. Um, it was playing in the taxi where I was sitting. And actually, recently, doing a lot of DJing, and, and, and because records are heavy, um, again, we've had our debate of whether or not me <laughs> assisting with vinyl is sensible. But anyway, because records are heavy, I often spend my life in the back of taxi cabs, which always have the radio on. They're things like Heart FM, so always commercial radio that plays lots of music, often retro music. Mm. And... Um, so I, I learn and I'm reminded of how great certain records are by hearing them in the back of taxis, which is very much their natural habitat, I think, for pop music. And I heard this when I was on my way out on Friday, and I just thought, God, this is good. It's it's really great. I forgot what a great record it is. I forgot how brilliantly talented Whitney Houston was. Her demise was very sad, but she was phenomenal. And around the time she died, someone posted the isolated vocal from this on the internet, and it, it just sounded wonderful it just sounded such a such a sort of pinnacle of achievement really it was grand so so i i love this and like you say a bit of an earworm always fun to dance around to and be silly and what more can we ask for pop music so this is whitney houston and how will i know
You have been listening to a DAC Media production.